Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning. Just like the centurion who heard of you and believed, this morning we are hearing your words. Help our unbelief, Lord. Help us to believe these things, for they are true. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. So today, we're going to be looking at the faith of this centurion, the faith of a follower. And first, we're going to see an amazing faith in an unlikely place. We see in verse 1 that Jesus had concluded his teaching and he entered Capernaum, which is on the northern shore of Galilee. So Jesus concludes his teaching and he enters Capernaum and this is going to be his hub for his ministry throughout his earthly ministry. And then you go down and you see in verses 2 and 3 that we're introduced to this centurion who had a sick servant. And we've got to talk about what a centurion is so we can understand the, the, the amazing place. Because a centurion, it was typically a Roman who was a guard. And he was a guard that was placed over a hundred men a century. And this would be a man who was known for his bravery in battle. He was known for his integrity. And he was known for his loyalty to Rome. Centurions were paid well. And we see that this man had a servant. So obviously he had enough money to have that. He probably had more than one. He also had enough money to fund the building of the synagogue for the Jewish elders. That's what they were boasting about. So this man, he had a little money too. This specific centurion was most likely what we would call a God-fearer. If you see that, that term in Acts, Luke uses that term God-fearer. That would be speaking of a Gentile who had some allegiance or was worshiping the one true God of Israel, but had not yet taken the sign of circumcision. They would have still been excluded to the inner parts of uh, Jewish worship. But nevertheless, he had a reverence for the God of Israel. But as we'll see in this man, 
he goes farther, or he goes further than just adhering to the external practices of the Jewish religion. This man was a man of faith. He had unparalleled faith in the unparalleled Christ. So first, let's look. He had, he had a fruitful faith. The whole occasion for this story is, is the fact that he has a dying servant that he dear, dearly cares for. He cares for him dearly. In verse 2, it says that he was highly valued by him. And at first, gla- at first glance, if you're, if you're kind of cynical, you could think, oh yeah, he was highly valued. He wants the guy to get, get healthy so he can go back to work for him. But that's not the case here. He loves this man. One who was expendable. Surely he had enough to buy another servant. He could have just cast him away. He cares for him dearly. So this is a man, this centurion we see, he's a picture of a man who loves his neighbor as himself. It's a picture of a man who shows no partiality. His servant is dear to him, and this is what accompanies genuine faith. A picture of the good tree bearing good fruit. And I thought of this, we have to beware of treating people as objects or just an asset. It's so easy to to compartmentalize our faith and we treat a boss as a boss or an employee just as an employee or a student, well, that's just my student. We've got to see that when we deal with any other human being, we're dealing with an image bearer. An image bearer of God, no matter what they believe. That's an image bearer. And we see that. That's the fruit of faith. We see that in the centurion. He's got every reason in the, in, in the world to be haughty and, and, and proud. But yet here he is caring for his servant. How do we treat those that we live among. So we go down to verse 3. It says in verse 3 that when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent the elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. You know, the reports about Jesus were spreading like wildfire. If you read through the Gospels, every time he would heal, I mean, the word just spread, right? He's, he's, he's casting out demons. He's healing lepers. He's healing paralytics. I mean, the word is spreading. And, and this centurion heard Jesus. And so he sent the elders of the Jews to bring him. Jesus had been teaching in synagogues as one who had authority. And so this centurion, he had some knowledge of Jesus. He had heard and he believes these things. The news was out. And so he sends them to appeal to Jesus on his behalf. And and let's take a look at what they say to Jesus because I think it's very revealing and something we can learn from. In verses 4 and 5, it says that they pleaded with Jesus earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. He loves our nation. He's the one who built us our synagogue. And I think we need to note that in these Jewish elders, I, I, it's a tragic case of unbelief, what we see here on their part. You know, these, these might have been uh, members of the Sanhedrin. We don't know. They may have just been uh, Jewish lay elders. But they, they knew the Word. They knew the Old Testament Scriptures. These were supposed to be leaders of their religion. And yet they come to Jesus 
And they beg him to come because they are claiming that the centurion is worthy for he loves the nation and has built their place of worship. You know, it, it, it speaks to the, to the character of the centurion, but it also speaks to their character. Here they are speaking to the one who was to be the object of their worship and treating him like he was an errand boy to go heal this man. You know, the tragedy of being so close to the one that you need, yet being so far away. I mean, I asked myself as I was reading through this, why didn't they come to Jesus and fall down on their knees and say, I need you, Jesus. I need you. Unbelief looks at externals and makes a case for the worthiness of the recipient. Unbelief can stand in the presence of the Holy One and make demands based on track record and assets. How we interact with the Lord says a lot about the condition of our souls. Sure, we are going to have questions. We are going to question things when they come into our lives. We're going to question things that happen, but we can never put God in our debt. We can never say, oh Lord, look at all the things that I've done. Why now this? I'm so faithful. I'm so worthy. How we speak to God and interact with Him and how we treat other people says a lot about the condition of our souls. And so those are two takeaways from this first section. We need to treat people, no matter their color, sex, economic status, as image bearers deserving of, of God's love. And a person um, who has genuine faith will seek to grow in these areas. Let's, let's continue moving. Verses 6 through 8, we see that the centurion not only had a fruitful faith, but he had a humble faith. So in verses 6 through 8, you see a stark contrast in the Jewish elders' bold proclamation of the worthiness of the centurion. And you find this amazing confession from the centurion himself. He says, I'm not worthy. They say he's worthy. The centurion says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. Something happened inside this man from the time he sent the, the, the Jewish elders to speak to Jesus and the time he sent his friends to speak to Jesus. John Calvin said before Christ would heal the, the servant, he had to heal the centurion. And the centurion, as far as we know, didn't need any physical healing, so the healing took place in the heart. This centurion had been given the gift of faith. He sees Jesus Christ with the eyes of faith. And in turn, he sees himself for who he is. He's not worthy to have Jesus come into his presence. This is astonishing. You know, as far as we know, he hadn't physically laid eyes on Jesus. He had only heard of Jesus. So this should be an encouragement to us who have not seen Jesus. We have not physically seen Jesus but we have heard of Jesus. We hear His words every time we read the Scriptures. They're God's Word. And faith comes through hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. 
He was a man who worked for Rome in charge of many and had done probably many noble deeds. I mean, we've read some things about his character and he says, I'm unworthy to have Jesus come to my house. There is no faith without humility and there's no salvation without faith. God humbles the proud and exalts the humble. John Calvin also said, he said, it's a miracle that one, you think of this centurion, one who belonged to the military profession, who had crossed the seas with bands of soldiers for the purpose of accustoming Jews to endure the, the, the yoke of Roman tyranny, he submits willingly and yields obedience to the God of Israel. This Roman conqueror has faith in this man, Jesus, who was one of the conquered ones. That says a lot about who this man saw Jesus to be. He knew he was no mere man. There's something special about Jesus. He's the God-man. What we think of ourselves says a lot about what we think of Jesus. I love this example of God-induced humility. Also in Isaiah chapter 6, um, just thinking about this God-induced humility. When we come to grips with who he is by faith, we are humbled. In Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet, he just goes on. He, just, he goes off the rails pronouncing woes upon the wicked. Woe to you who do this. Woe to you who do that. Woe to you. And then in chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah, when he's, when he's only looking at himself and he doesn't have this right view of the king high and lifted up, he's pronouncing woes, and those woes should have been pronounced. But he sees the king high and lifted up, and he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. This is what we need. We need a vision correction, and, and one that can't be done by any of the doctors in this congregation. We need the eyes of our hearts enlightened to the one true God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it only comes through the powerful working of the Holy Spirit. The centurion didn't have the same experience as Isaiah, but he had the same transformation. As he beheld the King of glory with the eyes of faith, he was humbled and said, I am not worthy. And so my question to you, and a question I have to ask myself, is have we been humbled by God? Have, have you come to the end of your rope of trying to earn a place in the kingdom? Maybe you're not doing that, but you're so prideful, you don't think that you need His help. 
I mean, you know that Jesus died on the cross for sinners, but you don't see yourself as all that bad because you compare yourself to people around you. Have we ever compared ourselves to God's standard, to Christ? Because if we do, we'll be humbled and say, I need Jesus. Have we been humbled? Or do we treat God as our debtor that he owes us big time because of all the great things that we do for him? We must pray that God would open our eyes to see his excellency and see our unworthiness. This will produce in us humility and awe. But we got to remember, I'm not talking about bootstrap faith, that we got to muster up as much as we can and that we can muster this faith up on our own. We have to have the Lord's help. Faith is a gift. It's the object of our faith that provides the power to change us. And we've seen the humble faith of this centurion, the fruitful, humble faith of the centurion, but we've got to remember who was the object of his faith. It's Jesus. And so, lastly, we'll look at the object of his faith and our faith. First, who is this Jesus that he believed in? We know that he was an authoritative Christ, that we see the authority of Jesus. As we've seen uh, throughout Luke already, we've seen that Jesus had the authority to cast out demons. We see that Jesus, when he, when he was um, being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he overcame that temptation by the power of the word. And so he has authority over all evil and all demons. We also know that Jesus has authority over the elements, that he can, that he can speak to a storm and quiet the storm, that he can walk on water, that he could literally multiply fish and loaves. He has authority over the elements. And we know specifically based on this passage that Jesus has authority over illness. We've seen him heal people with all sorts of infirmities. We've seen him heal the lepers and heal the blind and heal the, the paralytics. And this centurion believed that Jesus could heal his servant with a mere word. You don't even have to come see us. You don't even have to put your hand on him, Jesus. You can do it. I know what power is like. I'm a Roman centurion. I'm under power and I have those under me. I know what power is all about, what authority is all about. I can say the word and my servants do it. Lord Jesus, you're the one of supreme authority. You say the word and he's healed. Just say the word. He didn't need miracle water. He didn't need to sow a seed of $37 to prove his faith. He needed a word. That's your Jesus. Like, do you know that the one that you pray to, the one that we pray to as a family of believers, that's our Christ, the one who has authority over all things? But, he, but he's not just an authoritative Jesus. We see the humility of Jesus. After the bold pleading of the elders to come do for this worthy centurion, it says in verse 6 that Jesus went with them. And as I read that, I'm thinking, there's so many things that he could have said or that I would have said in that moment, but it just says Jesus did not utter a word. He went with them. Here's the Lord of heaven and earth, the only truly worthy one, being summoned by religious men playing church to visit a Gentile and heal his slave. And he went. He was going. Jesus went without a word of rebuke. 
And we see that Jesus' whole life is a life of humiliation and condescension. I love this passage in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, where Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see this great condescension and humiliation in Christ. And Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. As we meditate on the humility of Christ, it will make us or fuel us to live lives of humility. The compassion of Jesus. I mean, this next section that we're going to be going through, that Richard will be taking, taking us through in the coming weeks, it, we, we see the compassion of Jesus. All throughout Luke, we see the compassion of Christ as He heals the outcast and the lepers, the lame, the tax collectors, and sinners. You know, the Pharisees showed no compassion. They showed contempt for people who were on the fringes. They showed contempt for anyone who didn't measure up to their, their standard, their man, man-made standard of religion. But yet Jesus, He showed compassion. Jesus those in need. And He brings life to us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. And He remembers that we are dust. Christian, the Lord is a compassionate Christ. Fix your eyes on Him. Lastly, we see the Lordship of Jesus in this passage. Notice in verse 6 that the centurion says, Lord... Do not trouble yourself. It doesn't say, Jesus, he needs you to do this for him. But when the centurion sent friends, he says, Lord, Lord, do not trouble yourself. You know, Jesus is the one in whom we believe that he's the Lord of all things. He's the Lord over all creation. And specifically, he's Lord over, uh, over us, the church. He's head over the church. And so all must bow down to Christ. Though this centurion was employed by Rome, he called Jesus Lord, not Caesar. This could have cost him. We don't know what it did cost him later, but, but, but this is, this is, this is the, the faith of a follower, even against um, possible you know, exclusion or even possible murder, beheading. He says, Jesus is Lord. This person, Jesus, is the object of his faith. And we know that faith is a grace given by God alone. But it's one that must be exercised by us. God doesn't believe for us. He, he gives us the gift of faith. And we believe. The centurion, like Abraham of old, he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So my question to us, is do we believe that He can do what He promised He would do? And I'm not talking about generally, like it's easy for us to, to give the answer, oh yeah, I believe that Jesus died for sinners. But like, do you believe that He died for you? You're a sinner, and do you believe He died for you? 
You know, I know that the Word says that Jesus is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. We can be telling that to someone while they're suffering, and then while we're suffering, we don't believe that it's true. Do we believe that He is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit? You know, it's easy to, it's easy to say that Jesus will finish what he has started in us, that he'll be faithful to finish what he has started in us, and yet doubt it in our own lives. And it's also easy to, to say that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you, but in your own heart, you just don't believe that that is true. Tell you, and, and the word is here to tell you that what he says is true. We can take him at his word. It's truth. You know, um, I've, I've been around people this past week who have experienced a lot of suffering and difficult things. I was talking to one of my best friends, someone I love dearly, um, who's experiencing some things in life that are, that are I mean, he, he may, he, he thinks there's a chance that he might not make it through that. Um, but I've seen in this man when I'm thinking of unlikely faith, and I'm also thinking of just someone seeing their unworthiness. Um, he, he's, he's one that was always kind and, 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 and fun to be around growing up, but never heard him speak of Christ. And here in the past 10 years, every time we talk, he talks to me about Jesus. Um, he, he tells me what he's been listening to. He's listening to this, a Tim Keller sermon, or he's um, uh, listening to, to somebody else. I, I, can't, I can't, Steve Brown. Um, he's listening to these sermons. And we have these conversations about, about Jesus. And, and it just reminds me, just the un, we will find faith in the most unlikely of places or amazing places. I mean, you even consider yourself, or I consider myself, like the last person who would be standing up here preaching a sermon about Jesus. I would have told you it, it would have been me, friends that I, that I played ball with, that like if I looked at him, I was like, that is the most low-down, dirty scoundrel you've ever seen. He's a missionary somewhere. I mean, it's crazy what the Lord can do. And what he does for his glory. Um, but my friend, as he was sharing with me, we were talking about Christ. And he was just saying, you know, I know we all die. But it, it could be very soon for me. And I just worry that I'm not saved. Um, you know, or I have these doubts. And I was like, man, we all struggle with those doubts. But what do we believe? What has Christ said? It said that he came to seek and to save the lost. In John 3.16, we know that the Father sent the Son to die for sinners and all those who put their faith in Him will be saved. And so it gets back to, what does He say? And do we believe that? And, and at the end of our conversation, He just says, I'm unworthy. I mean, I know the thoughts in my head or the things that I've done in my life, and I'm worthy. And I said, that's a good place to be. We're all unworthy of His grace. We are all unworthy of his grace. That, that, that prepares us to receive his grace when we realize that we are unworthy to receive it. 
So if you are in here today with any amount of faith in Christ, I mean, most of us in here, I know myself, we cry out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's in the Scriptures, there for us as encouragement. If there's any amount of faith in you, praise the Lord. That's a miracle that is greater than raising the physical dead. The fact that you have a new heart in Christ and that you believe. The gift of faith. So let's get our eyes on Jesus. Not on ourselves. Not on our credentials. Like the centurion, have our eyes of faith on Christ. And then I must end with this. If, if you're in here and you, you think much of yourself... Like you think you're okay, that it'll all just work out in the end, and that you don't need Christ. I beg you to hear the words in this passage today. The only way to enter the kingdom is through faith in Christ. Like the centurion. You may have been coming here for quite some time. You, go to, to, you come to worship. We go to Bible studies. You go to Wednesday night. You're always around the Word, but you've never seen who Jesus really is. And you've never seen yourself for who you really are. And I beg you to consider this passage. Jesus is only said to have marveled two times in Scripture. He marveled here at the faith of the centurion, and he marveled at the unbelief in Mark chapter 6 of those in Nazareth. So brother, sister, continue to look to Christ. Friend who have never placed your faith in Christ, believe in him. All that come to him by faith, he will never cast out. And so take him at his word. He says he came to seek and to save the lost. So trust him and his word. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, we, we are in great need of your help. We are reminded this morning that we need, we need new eyes to be able to see you by faith. Lord, our, our sin has blinded our eyes in unbelief. And so many things out in the world call to us. And bid us to come to them. But Lord, help us this morning. We come to you by faith. In repentance and faith. So we love you and we thank you for your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.